Welcome to the Miko Pellet Hour. I'm your host, Miko Pellet. This is our first show, and I am very excited to be here and share some thoughts with you. Because this is the first show, I uh, decided that we would not have a guest, but rather talk about a little bit about who I am, why I'm doing the show, and then discuss some issues regarding Palestine that are you know, pertinent to what is happening right now. Questions, misunderstandings, a lot of misinformation. And since Palestine is my issue, of course, many of you don't know me, Palestine is my issue. I uh, I want to clarify um, a great deal of, of um, misunderstanding and misinformation that is out there about Palestine. So I'll tell you about myself first. Again, I'm Miko Pellet. I uh, have a book that's out called The General Sun, Journey of an Israeli in Palestine. And the reason I mentioned the book first is because the book is a memoir that came out 10 years ago, and The General Sun sort of became my nickname, uh, both in English and also in Arabic, even the General, that kind of became my, uh, again, my nickname. So sometimes people won't remember my name when I tell them, but if I say The General Sun, they go, oh, The General Sun, of course, I read it. I was born in Jerusalem um, to Israeli family, to an Israeli family. I was born in 1961 long, long time ago. And I was raised as a patriotic Israeli. I loved Israel. I loved being an Israeli. My father, as the title of the book suggests, was a general in the Israeli army. He was a general in a time or at a war that was one of the most um, well-known and well-talked about uh, wars in the Middle East, which is the 1967 war, also known as the Six-Day War. He was an officer, a young officer, 20 years before that, in 1948, when the state of Israel was established in what Israelis call the War of Independence, what Palestinians call the catastrophe or the Nakba. And so that is my background. I had other family members who held important positions within the state of Israel, who had important positions in the movement that was working to establish the state of Israel, known as the Zionist movement. My grandfather signed the Israeli Declaration of Independence. My, I had a great uncle who was the president of the state of Israel, which is really just a symbolic role, but still, it's a, it's a big deal. So that was the environment in which I was raised. And then at one point in my life, and I'll explain a little more detail a little bit later, but at one point in my life, I embarked onto what I call a journey of an Israeli in Palestine. And that's the subtitle of the book. And when we see a journey of an Israeli in Palestine, that should really require us to pause for a moment. What do you mean a journey of an Israeli in Palestine? What's an Israeli and where's Palestine? And even beyond that, what is Israel and what is Palestine? And a little known fact is that until May of 1948, the country that is known today as Israel, was known as Palestine, and it was known as Palestine going back for many, many thousands of years. The Egyptians, the days of the pharaohs, it was referred to as Palestine. The Assyrians and the Greeks referred to it as Palestine, and different versions of the name, Palestine or Palestine, which is closer to the Arab pronunciation. Uh, the Greeks referred to it as Palestine. Um, Aristotle is known to have written about it and called it Palestine. I believe he may have even visited Herodotus, who was the father of, of the science that we know today as history, 
he referred to it as Palestine, and on and on and on. And then for, you know, throughout the more modern history, throughout the last few hundred years, Europe was doing trade, there was trade with Palestine, there were, you know, it was a place that people knew as Palestine. Palestine was very rich. It used to export olive oil and um, soap and cotton and barley and other things. So it was a very well-known and place, and it was known as Palestine. Uh, during the 19th and 20th century, it was a cultural hub for for uh, it, within the Arab world. Jaffa was known. Haifa, these are you know coastal cities that people visited and had a lot of culture and so on. Of course, Jerusalem. I don't need to say about Jerusalem, where, where you know that it's it's probably one of the best known cities on the face of the earth. Of course, it was a Palestinian city, and then in 1948 it became Israel. So when I was born, it was Israel. And while I knew that there were Arabs living there, we referred to them as the Arabs of Israel. The name Palestine never even, you know, reached, you know, wasn't really on my radar until I was probably in high school. And an interesting thing happened when my father, immediately after the war of 1967, stood up and he said to his comrades, we now need to support the idea of a state for the Palestinians. And everybody was shocked, of course. What? We just conquered the entire country. All of historic Palestine, which they refer to as the land of Israel, is now in our hands. Why in the world would we do that? And his point was, there. while this is our country, that's what he believed, he was a Zionist, uh, this is our country, there is another nation that lives here, the Palestinian Arabs. And if we don't come to some kind of an agreement with them, we will be in a state of war forever. He retired from the army about a year later. Nobody listened to him. In fact, he was taken aside several times by his comrades in arms um, and told to, you know, keep his thoughts to himself. Nobody wants to hear about compromise. Nobody wants to hear about giving the Palestinian Arabs anything right now since, you know, we did. And they referred to the War of 1967 as finishing the job. And you have to ask, well, what job were they finishing? In 1948, when Israel was established, <clears throat> excuse me, the um, militia that were working, that were then later on became the Israeli army, conquered almost 80% of historic Palestine. The remainder were these two areas called the Gaza Strip, which of course people talk about a lot these days, and the West Bank. They make up about 20% of the entire country of Palestine. So in 1948, they still had 20% or so left that they didn't take. In 1967, they embarked on a war to take this extra, these extra 20%, and that's what they did. And from that moment on, all of Palestine was Israel. And throughout the entire country, Israel built cities and towns and highways and everything else like any modern city, but for Jews only. So the the claim that Israel was a democracy is not true because there were always Palestinian Arabs there. And if you only give privilege to one particular population within your domain, then you're not a democracy. You're an apartheid state. And in fact, this was established uh, about a year ago when, uh, or more than a year ago when Amnesty International came out with a report and said the state of Israel 
is engaged in the crime of apartheid, and it's been doing so since it was established in 1948. So now going back to my story, a journey of an Israeli in Palestine, I didn't know there was a Palestine. I knew there were Arabs in Israel. I knew that I lived in Israel in a very comfortable space. We always had running water. We always had electricity. We had grass. We had playgrounds. We had, you know, universities and everything else. And we lived like any other developed European state. But from time to time, I did have the possibility to see what the Arabs lived or how the Arabs lived and what spaces they lived. And the, the difference was striking. The differences were striking. And the explanation was always that, well, they're not as developed, there's not as educated, there's not as sophisticated as we are, and therefore they're behind. They're backwards people, basically. That's why they don't have the nice spaces that we do. And as a kid, you hear that from the grown-ups, and you move on. Once I embarked on the journey, I realized that that was not true. I realized that the reasons the Arabs or the Palestinians, as I came to understand they were they were called, the Palestinians were living in a completely different sphere, in a completely different reality, not because of any fault of theirs. They were living in this reality because Israel deprived them of their land, of their water, of their resources, and of rights. There's a, a community of Palestinians who have Israeli citizenship. They're called the Palestinian citizens of Israel. They did not enjoy the rights that I did as an Israeli citizen or as Jewish Israeli citizens in general. The differences in their lives, their reality, the differences between theirs and, and, the, and mine were striking. Striking. And again, it wasn't due to any fault of theirs. It was due to the fact that Israel was established by a movement called the Zionist movement, which is a racist, settler-colonial, violent movement. And they wanted a state for Jewish people only in Palestine. So when you want to establish a state for a particular nation or a particular group of people in somebody else's land, on somebody else's land, then you have to obviously deprive the others of their rights, deprive them of resources, and establish a regime of apartheid. And that's exactly, it's exactly what the state of Israel was. And that's exactly what the Zionists did in Palestine. So what made me take this journey? And what made me, or what pushed, drove me, I should say, to meet Palestinians and get involved in the Palestinian issue, all the way to the point that today I sit here in front of you, I'm wearing a Palestinian flag on my lapel, and I am known as somebody who speaks for the rights of Palestinians and for a free democratic Palestine. Well, sadly, I think we make big shifts or shift great shifts in our thinking, great shifts in the way we see the world happen as a result of something terrible. I think that's the common, that's what usually happens. In my case, in 1997, in, the, in September of 1997, three young Palestinians blew themselves up in central Jerusalem, in downtown Jerusalem, and one of the victims that was killed, one of the Israeli victims that was killed was my sister's little girl, Smadar. She was 13 years old. Her name was Smadar. And what can I say? I mean, that is exactly the kind of horror 
the kind of tragedy that forces you to reevaluate everything you know and everything you believe. And in my case, it forced me to engage. It forced me to engage with Palestinians. It forced me to understand and really think about it. You know, three young men blow themselves up and kill other people. That in itself, you know, should should stop us on our in our tracks and 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 shock us to the point where we stop everything and we fix it. But sadly, this sort of violence has become normalized in Palestine, and the death and killing of Palestinians predominantly, and the death and killing of some Israelis as well, has become the norm. It's almost expected, and that's part of the problem. It should not be the norm. Horrors like this should not be the norm. Um, and again, my 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 little niece was killed in 1997. That's a long time ago. And how many more have died since? But the point is that that drove me. And I was living in the U.S. at the time. So, of course, when it happened, I, I, I went back home. I visited my family. And when I came back here, I needed something to talk to somebody, to do something. And I was living in California at the time, in San Diego. And the issue of Palestine is not an issue that most people want to talk about. It's not fun. It's complicated, it's uh, contentious, it's polarizing. Now add on to that a tragedy like that that really nobody wants to talk about. Because, because to be fair to people, it's not something people know how to deal with. So what do you do? When you, I came back and I was, you know, I was losing my mind. You have to find somebody who cares, somebody who could I could engage with. And very fortunately I found the Palestinian community in San Diego, and they began a process of, of dialogue and, and getting to know each other with them. And to their enormous credit, they took me in and let me go through this very difficult process of realizing that everything that I thought I knew, everything I was raised and educated to believe on this issue was false. Now, think about it, coming from the, my kind of background where my family members were instrumental in establishing the state of Israel and educated me. So I didn't learn about Israel and Zionism in a textbook or in college. I learned it at home with family members, with things as things were happening, I, I knew about them. As decision makers were discussing things, I was in a room. Granted, I was a child, but I was in the room. So where do we go from here? How do you negotiate this reality where I'm sitting with people who are telling me that night is day and day is night? It's not easy. It's very painful. But gradually, I went through that process. And again, to the enormous credit of the Palestinian community in San Diego, many of whom are my closest friends now, um, I went through that process. And I had to do a great deal of reading and I had to do a great deal of travel within Palestine. And... I remember the day, the moment where I was in Palestine and I realized that the whole idea of Israel is false. That this notion that there could someday be a two, two states in Palestine, an Israeli state and a Palestinian state, is false. And it's false because Israel made it false. I was there, it was 2005. I was in a small village called Bilain. 
And some of the activists from Bilain and I were walking, and there was no wall. Today in Palestine, there's a wall that divides a great deal of the spaces. And so we crossed from their village onto a city that was being built on their land. And I use the term city instead of settlement, because settlement, I think, often creates the impression that it's something small. There's a major city with apartment buildings and condos and villas and shopping malls and schools and highways and whatever, everything you need to have a modern city. And I remember looking at these structures, the billions of dollars that were invested in this. And I thought, number one, this is not going away. So there's never going to be two states in Palestine because we were on the space that was supposed to be the Palestinian state. And then I thought, why? What is the virtue of dividing the country? Why should we not just have what Palestinians have been calling for for decades before that, before my realization? A democracy with equal rights. Palestine was already one state. Israel created one state from the river to the sea over all of Palestine. So why separate it? Why not just let people live as citizens with equal rights? Granted, you have Israelis and you have Palestinians. Now, Israelis, this is this is really important, I think, to state. Israelis are not indigenous to Palestine. I mean, look at my skin. Look at me. I'm obviously not from the Middle East. I was born there. My parents were born there, but my grandparents immigrated from, from Belarus and Ukraine. And they came to colonize. So Israelis are like the whites in South Africa. They're citizens. They've lived there for a long time. It's their country. It's their home. But they're not indigenous. They are an implant, if you will, but now they're there. They're part of the reality. So in South Africa, you have white South Africans, white Africans. Israelis are the same thing. We are an implant. We're not indigenous. We're not organic. But here you go. Now you have Israelis in Palestine. So you have two nations. You have Israelis, which is really a new creation, a new nation. And you have Palestinians who are the majority, and they're also the indigenous people, the native people of Palestine. So why separate them? Why not have a single state with equal rights? Because that would mean it would no longer be a Jewish state. That would mean it would no longer be an apartheid state. That would mean that people like myself would have to share our privilege with the Palestinians. And the majority of Israelis, and certainly every Israeli government since Israel was established, don't want that. They don't want the democracy. They want to get rid of the Palestinians. Or at least bring them down to their knees so that they would never, never rise again. And maintain this supremacist state that is a state only for people like myself. Now, it's not a Jewish state. You know, most Jewish people don't live there. Many Jewish people reject the idea of Israel. In fact, the most religious Jewish communities in the world reject the idea of, 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 a, of a Jewish state. And I won't get into that now. We can talk about that in another, in another episode. In fact, we will talk about it because it's an important point. So that was my journey. I began to travel into Palestinian cities, into Palestinian towns, into Palestinian villages. And in the beginning, I was terrified because I was taught that Palestinians, given the chance, Palestinians would kill me. For no good reason other than I'm just me, you know, an Israeli driving around. And interestingly enough, it never happened. And Israelis, friends, family members say to me, well, yeah, they don't kill you because they know you. But if we went, they would kill us. 
and this just goes to show the the sense of this this absurd sense of self-importance first of all and the fact that they never crossed to the other side let, let me paint the picture for you okay between jerusalem which is a mixed city it's half half it's israeli and half it's palestinian and ramallah which is the main city in the west bank there's a massive terminal massive checkpoint it's huge and driving there is hellish because the traffic is terrible and uh, and the and there's the disregard for the rights and for the time and for the comfort of people going back and forth is is beyond understanding but it's there so and i drive when i'm in palestine i usually drive i drive all over the place so when i drive to ramallah i have to cross this checkpoint it's called kalandia and it's it's one big, massive, endless traffic jam. There are all these roundabouts and cars coming from all directions, and the checkpoint itself has different roads and different openings from different road from openings and door and like gates opening for different directions. There's no way to make sense of it. And that is a log jam if ever you've seen one. Cars, people, children, families, chaos. And of course, on the Palestinian side, you see the, the the poverty. And so this notion that somehow when I cross in my car, people stop in their tracks and know me, or they want to kill me because I showed up. So of course, there's going to, all the people are going to drop everything. The kids will stop going to school. The families will stop going shopping. The parents will leave their work because they want to come and either welcome me because it's me, or they want to kill me because it's some other Israeli. I mean, this is such an absurd, crazy, self-important idea. And you can't really explain it to people. You have to experience it. I mean, I'm, I'm describing, I'm trying to paint a picture here just to give you an idea of how absurd it is, the notion that somehow this would happen. Nobody ever stops even to pay attention. Nobody cares. People are busy with their lives. And so um, that, so that was the nature of my journey realizing, first of all, that I was born and raised in Palestine within a space that was created for privileged people. And that space they named Israel. And they allowed the people within that space to call themselves Israelis. And they don't want to have anything to do with the Palestinians. They don't want to have anything to do with Arab culture. They don't want to have anything to do with the Middle East. We are Europeans. We, our connection is to Europe. Well, you come, you immigrate to a city, to a country that's one of the most important, well-known Arab countries in the world, Palestine. Palestine has two of the holiest sites in Islam, Aqsa Mosque in Jerusalem and uh, Haram Ibrahimi or the Ibrahimi Mosque in, in Hebron. It's a country that has enormous importance, you, you know, long history. It's important for Christians. It's important for Muslims. It's been predominantly Muslim for almost 2,000 years. Um, and you come there, you immigrate there, you decide to colonize it and build a state there for Jewish people only. And you pretend that you're European. I mean, I hope I'm getting this message through of just how absurd this is and how much easier it would be if we had a state with equal rights when everybody can live as equals, retain 
their own identity, practice their faith. And the simple division of faith is Muslims, Jews, and Christians. And that's also the division in terms of in terms of numbers. The majority are Muslims, and you've got the Jewish people, and then you've got uh, Christians. And sadly, the Christian community is disappearing in Palestine. But again, that's another story we will touch on in the future. Um, why? How is that not the easiest thing in the world? But when you perpetuate a claim that the other is violent, the other is racist, the other is a killer, the other can't be trusted, and Israel has been perpetuating this story against Palestinians, everything I've said and more, more derogatory, uh, you know, slurs, more derogatory characterizations. Then and then you have a really well-oiled, strategic uh, public relations campaign that, that presents a very compelling story because the Zionists present a very compelling story. And sadly, on the Palestinian side, we don't have the space, the money, the the, the PR machine. That the, that the Israelis, the Zionists have. So when you hear this very compelling story and you don't hear the other story, then clearly it doesn't matter if you live in America or you live in Europe or you live in any other place in the world, you're impressed. You believe the story. And then again, in the absence of another story, why would anybody um, listen to the Palestinians? Or why would anybody not believe the Israeli story, the Zionist story? So in this show, what I'm going to try to do is talk about this, and I'm going to uh, invite guests, friends, people who have interesting ideas, people who've written books, people who understand this issue, particular aspects of this issue that would be uh, beneficial for us to hear. And to make it very, very clear that if you are on the side of human rights, if you are on the side of equality, if you're on the right on the side that opposes violence and wants to prevent violence, and most importantly, if you're on the side of peace, then you have to support the Palestinian cause. Whereas, if you support the Israeli side, then you we're then you, not you we I suppose or one. Um, then one supports apartheid and racism, of course, because apartheid is a racist system. And it is also inevitably violent. You can't maintain an apartheid state without violence. And as we've seen over the last 75 years since Israel was established, it's very, very clear that Israel is a violent state, extremely violent, extremely militarized, responds to everything almost with enormous amounts of violence and enormous numbers, enormous amounts of civilian casualties. And in a way, if you're engaged in some in 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 in, uh, in attacks against Palestinians, you have to kill civilians because Palestinians never had an army. There's no Palestinian army. There's never been a Palestinian tank. They've had small group guerrilla groups of guerrilla fighters. They've had resistance groups and so on. But there's never been a Palestinian military. Whereas Israel has an enormous military, well-funded, well-trained, uh, one of the best equipped, one would say, military forces in the world. And the claim that I make is that it's actually a terrorist organization, a glorified terrorist organization. 
So if you support Israel, that's what you support. That if we support Israel, then that's what we're supporting. And if we're supporting, and if we care for peace and justice, then we have to support the Palestinian cause. So that was my journey. So again, going back to my book and my story, I went from being a kid whose father was a general, who had all these important people in his family who adored Israel and wanted to, you know, be part of that one day. And then here I am today saying the things you hear me say. But it's not that I'm against Israelis. I don't think to be pro-Palestinian doesn't mean to be against Israelis. It means to support the possibility of peace between Israelis and Palestinians and understanding that in order to do that, we have to get rid of the apartheid state. If you support Israel, you're anti-Palestinian because the existence of Israel negates the rights of Palestinians. And there is no scenario where there could be an Israel without negating those rights. So we're going to take a short break right now. Don't go away. We'll be back with some more, uh, and I'll be talking specifically about the what's taking place in the Gaza Strip over the last few weeks. So don't go away. I'll be right back. 